morning, everyone. Um, it's been an interesting week, huh? Who felt a little knot in their stomach when we knew there was going to be a press briefing? Right? And, and it was interesting because then media begins to speculate and our tenseness begins to heighten and then it's all done and dusted and there's this big sigh of relief. It's been an interesting week, but I'd say it's been an interesting year. <laughs> I mean, um, who's going to say that this year, uh, who's going to say actually, who's going to be real happy on January 1st? There's this magical thing about it not being 2020 anymore, right? That it's going to be 2021 and I'm tired of that. I was thinking back, I was looking back through some of the things I was planning out last year about this time, because generally this is the time I begin planning, you know, the sermons for next year. And I went back and looked at what I was planning. I was like, 2020 vision, cool, you know, sunglasses and Ray-Bans. This year's going to be a great year. And now I'm looking at that going, oh, goodness me, what was I thinking? It's been that kind of a time, that kind of a year. And in it all, we've been challenged by our story. What's our place in all of this? We've been seeking to hear from God. What are you doing? What are you saying to us? In the last couple of weeks, you would have heard me talk about this is our 91st year. If I keep talking about it more, we'll become our 92nd year. And there's a challenge that we're faced with. And the last couple of weeks, we talked initially about the challenge of our mortgage, the practicalities of what we are about and how we get things done here. Last week, we talked about the mission and how important that is that regardless of what the practicalities are, we're still called to a mission here. Today, I want to talk about us. Well, actually, you. We talk a lot about the we, and today I want to talk about the me. I want to talk about the me. I've been thinking about this past year, you know, the whole question, does it matter where we come from? Does it matter what's happened? We can just ignore it next year and just move on and just put this year into the, the back of our minds and let it go. And I've been wondering, like from a personal point of view, why has this year been so difficult? Why do I feel flat today? Why aren't I energized to think forward? And I keep thinking, I thought, well, I don't remember it being that bad in Christchurch. You know, we went through the earthquakes. And the thing about the earthquakes, kind of like this week, you know, you get a briefing and all of a sudden it just kind of puts you on, on the edge. Well, in Christchurch, we had aftershocks. And you know, every, and they'll tell you, every aftershock, no matter how hard or, or low or soft, they are all the same. They start the same. You hear the rumbling for a lot of us. You could almost identify it. And as it hits, you're just wondering, is it going to escalate or is it just going to peter out? So here we are all tense and nervous and that went for years. It didn't just stop. But I don't remember being that flat. What's different? What's changed? I was talking with Chelsea earlier on and she made a really good point. Well, when you're in Christchurch, you can get away from it. <laughs> you know, you go to Nelson and there's no earthquakes. Today, we, we can't go anywhere. <laughs> COVID's everywhere. In fact, we can't even leave the country, which is most probably part of my frustration at the moment. 
If you go to Auckland, it's going to be the same. Actually, it's worse than Auckland. Yeah. But you can't go anywhere in the country and escape it. It's there. But there's a thing about us at times as humans, but even as the church, is that we forget what God has already done for us. We are very circumstantial people. The circumstances dictate how we respond, how we work, what we do. But there's something bigger than that. There will always be a COVID or an earthquake or a crazy political leader who doesn't want to say that he lost. There will always be that. Always. History is littered with that. Which is why history should be a very important class in schools. Because it shows the journey of humanity. That we're not much different from all of humanity. We're facing the things that our parents have faced, our grandparents have faced, our great-grandparents and and our distant relatives. And it gives us hope to think there is another step. There is hope. The challenge that we have today, and what I'm going to challenge you this morning is, what is actually coming to the surface for you? We know what it's for the church, right? We've challenged it. I mean, the finance team has spent the last six months looking at some of our major issues, one of them being our debt, and saying, this is not sustainable. Another issue like this could really hurt us. We need to deal with this. And as we look at that, last week we looked at the mission. Well, actually, we're called here. We're called here to be God's people, to be a hope to the community around us, to share the love of Jesus. We can't lose our focus, our our eyes on Jesus and the mission that he's brought us here. today I want to challenge you in Christchurch there was this thing called liquefaction which none of us had ever I mean maybe some people knew about it most of you geologists know about it but the rest of us had no idea what it was about this stuff that came from underground above and just ruined everything we had these little volcano mounds in our in our auditorium an auditorium that would have been about this big and these big mounds, and some of them had burst through and all this gunk and stuff, and then it dries off and you can breathe it, and it was awful stuff trying to clean it up. But I realized that there was a bigger issue at, at stake back in Christchurch. It wasn't the, the stuff that was coming from out of the ground, it was the stuff that was coming from within us. That these are opportunities and times in which we need to actually self-reflect. It's not just looking at the church and saying what the church needs, we need to be looking at ourselves and saying, what's coming out? What's my own spiritual liquefaction? What am I being challenged with? This morning's verses, I was looking back again at some of our our old sermons and, and some of the things that we looked at, and we looked at vision, and we looked at prayer, and I was looking at the prayer series, and we did this whole series on Elijah, and there was one part that I missed as I looked back at it, and it was this verse at the end of what was his greatest victory. Just take a look at that verse. What does it paint? He climbed to the top of of Mount Carmel, which was the largest mount there that overlooked the whole valley. Far away, as far as Jerusalem and Haifa and the other end. He had the whole, the cedars of, 
of Lebanon were off in another. He could see everything. And he climbed up there. And rather than looking around, what did he do? He bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. What a picture that is. If we ever want to humanize people in the Bible, just a closer look. Can you imagine Elijah after that day that he proved to Israel that God is real? That he showed everyone what he was all about. And he goes up the top of Mount Carmel and bang, down. And for some of us, this year feels just like that. For some of us, this is where we're at. For some of us, this week, it was immediately to go, oh no, I don't want to hear it. Not another lockdown. For some of us, it's like, how do I get past this? The story of Elijah is interesting. He had just seen a miracle. You imagine being there and seeing fire fall down from heaven and consume the offering. I mean, wow. Huh? Pretty cool, right? And yet, right after this verse, he was afraid and he's running for his life. He's gone. He hears that the queen's angry at him. He hears there's a bit of trouble. He hears that his life might be at risk and he takes off. And he gets to a point far away from everything, heading down to the higher mountain, <laughs> to Sinai, where, where God delivered his law to his people. He went from Mount Carmel, which was a high mountain, to the highest mountain, Mount Sinai. And he's running down there and he's getting down there. He gets tired, he sleeps the night, he goes to the God, he goes, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he laid down in the bush and fell asleep. He was over it. He'd had enough. He was exhausted. He's like, you know what? I'm sick of this. Found a bush and went out. And you know, I kind of read that and thought, oh man, I feel like that. You wake up in the morning, you go, oh, I don't have to go. I don't want to go anywhere. Anyone feel like that? I just want to lay in bed. Why does the world bother me? Hasn't got much else to think about. Leave me alone. Daylight saving means there's more light in my room now. He lay down. And the Lord goes and kind of nudges him. Hey, dude, what's wrong? What are you doing here, Elijah? What, what's going on? And then, you know, out of our tiredness, our, our frustration, our, our angst and, and, and stress, he responds in this way. He says, I've been very zealous for you, Lord. I've done all this stuff for you. I've told everybody about you. I've done everything you've told me to do. And those people, those Israelites, your people, not that I'm one of them, have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. That's actually a pretty bold-faced lie. 
we just read that the people saw what happened and all yelled out together, the Lord is God. They said it twice, the Lord is God. And then he got all the prophets of Baal and what did he do to them? Completely. And here he is. You know, a lot of people tell me, how does this man in America say that he hasn't lost? And I just say it's humanity. When we really believe we're going to win, when we really believe that things are going right, we react when it doesn't. And sometimes we don't react with reality. It's the hurt that speaks. It's the brokenness that speaks. And here Elijah's just being real human about it. I'm sick of this, God. I'm tired of doing all this for you. Your people don't even care. You think he's feeling a bit flat? And so God says, I'm going to speak to you. So go up on the mountain. There's a cave there and listen out for my word. And so up in the cave he comes and a big storm comes, but God's not in that. And a, a big wind blows and God's not in that. And then there's still a small voice and God's there and he goes out. And the same question, what are you doing here? Elijah I've asked you a question and guess how Elijah responds <laughs> exactly the same way he hasn't gotten it yet because he's looking to God when he hasn't actually looked at himself and sometimes for us in church, we're so big about ministry. We've got to do this, we've got to do this, we've got to do that. And we actually don't stop to look at ourselves. What is actually motivating me? What am I doing here? It's easy for a pastor to be challenged by that, by the way, because we are faced with that every day. We are faced, those of us in ministry, are faced every day with the validity of whether we should be here or not. Because if it's not us doing it, it's usually the people around us that are doing it. But what about you? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? I want to give you a moment to just wrestle with that. Take some quiet time just now and challenge yourself. What am I doing here? I think Siri was responding for somebody there. What am I doing here, Siri? <laughs> what are you doing here, Elijah? What's going on inside of you? What drove you here? Why are you running? What's going on inside of you, Elijah? What is driving you flat? 
Is it COVID? Is it just busyness? Is it tiredness? Is it just maybe unfulfilled expectations? Is it that I'm just overwhelmed? What is it? What's, what's going on? Because it's easy to look at the church and say, oh, this needs to happen here and here. But it's harder to maybe look inside and say, what's going on in here and here and here? What's going on inside of you? The Lord is always interested in what's happening around us. He's not disinterested in the world. He's very much interested. He's interested in what's going on in America as much as he's interested in what's going on in Armenia at the time, this time or in Somalia at this time or in Ethiopia at this time. He's keenly interested in every aspect of this world. But let me just make this really clear. He is far more interested in what's going on inside of you. Far more. And that's the challenge that we're faced with. What, what is going on inside of you? It was really interesting. This is a personal story. I took some time off in September. And I had this whole plan. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work out. And over the course of September, I went from 156 kilograms, not pounds, I wish, down to 145. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's a good part of the story. I came back to work at the end of September, and by the end of October, guess where I'm at? And I'm like, what's going on? What, what? This is what church is doing to me. I knew it. That's what church is definitely doing to me. Hey, Andy, I know it. Oh. But then, you know, it's easy to point the finger at, oh, people are doing this, and church is stressful, and I'm here, blah, 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 blah. and then at the end, I'm not actually looking inside of me. I'm not stopping to say, what's going on inside of me? And that's the challenge you all face this morning. What is going inside of you? What's going on? Why do we let what's going on in America stress us out so much? Do you think God really cares whether you're conservative or liberal? Do you really think that? And if you do, there's a problem. Because all he cares about is you knowing his son, Jesus. Okay? If we put that much energy into sharing the love of Jesus rather than the love of politics, oh my goodness. Believe me, I'm totally hooked into it, so I'm being a hypocrite here. But the challenge is, what's going on inside of us? Why, why does it cost us when we hear a message that there's going to be a press conference and we're all like, oh, what's going to happen? In part, it's because, well, do we have a picture of God and what he's done already for us? You know, it's interesting. In the Old Testament, God basically goes absolutely crazy reiterating over and over and over again all the things he's done for them. Do you know why he had to do that? 
because the circumstances of life kind of takes your eyes off the game and kind of helps us to forget who God is and what he's already done in our lives. This, I had to stop. I stopped at 1 Samuel. I didn't even hit the Psalms. <laughs> Where he is challenging us. He's challenging his people. I am the Lord your God. I'm the one that got you out of here. Remember I got you. Now, do you remember I got you out of Egypt? By the way, do, do you remember I got you out of Egypt? Why? 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 Can you not see that? It's a challenge to see inwardly. You know, when you look at the New Testament, I mean, I know that there's always these two camps going on in church. There's the social camp. We've got to go out there and... and and, and provide food and shelter and there's poverty issues, there's housing issues. These are all very real issues that require us because we can do it to help people. And then there's the other camp that's like, oh, no, no, we've got to preach the truth and we've got to get the Bible out and, and, and you know, because at the end of the day, if they've got a house, that doesn't matter. They're going to die or go to hell or go to heaven. You know, that's the, and there's these two camps going on in church and they fight and they clash and they never actually ever meet half the time together. But God, in his Bible, you look at the New Testament, it's about people's journeys. Look at Peter, from when we first meet him until the end. It's a journey of growth in this man who starts off in this family business, quite arrogant and gruff and <laughs> kind of rough-edged, boastful, I could do this. And then breaking down with what he felt was most probably the worst moment in his life, reminded by the rooster's crow of denying the man that needed him in that moment. He's God, his savior. And having to live with that immortalized for the rest of eternity in the book of a Bible. Or John and James who wanted power and acknowledgement. Who wanted to sit at the right hand and the left hand of God. When those other people were doing good things, should we go over there and smack them around a bit, God? Because, you know, you shouldn't be doing that stuff if they're not with us. And you see the growth of these people moving as they get to encounter Jesus and as they grow in their lives and as they become the people that Jesus knows that they can become. That's what he wants to do with you. He knows you and he knows who you can become. That's, that, that's our calling. We see this in Acts, and we, we looked at this last week, and the word that came out from our, our gathering last week was awe as we talked together of what was missing amongst us. Well, today I'm going to ask you the same questions, but about you in regards to these verses, the verses that many churches today hold up as being the ideal church the church that we all want to be, the Acts church. But the question is this, where are you in this? What's missing for you? Why is it missing? And what, you sh what should you be working on?
going to give you a few minutes. I don't want you to do this one alone. I want you to turn to the people around you and share. What's, where are you in all of this? What's missing for you? Why is it missing? And what should you be working on? Take a few minutes, turn around to the people around you and start debating over these questions.
you know, it's it's really interesting. Um, part of this is actually responsibility for us. You know, even though th this is challenging because, I mean, a lot of us have idealized what the Acts Church was about. And, and the reality is it's very difficult for our culture and our society to be that. You know, I was talking with Greg and Mercy up front here. You go to the Philippines. Everyone lives outside of anyone's pocket because we're all in everybody's face. You go to Rome. You can't help but look out the window straight into somebody else's apartment. You know, you, you live in that culture. You, you, you deal with it. What I find interesting is that with the housing crisis that we've faced here, you've noticed that the footprint of homes are getting smaller and smaller. That means we're forced to live closer. And people think that's a bad thing. I think that's a great thing. It's no uh, coincidence that C.S. Lewis, when describing hell in his book, The Great Divorce, that hell was just a suburb. And what happened was the houses and the estates got bigger and bigger and people got separated more and more. For us, not just as a church, but for you. You know when things aren't going well? When you begin to separate yourself from the people around you. When you begin to hold people at an arm's distance. That is a wake-up call. That is saying something about what's going on. And the challenge for those of us who are trying to embrace is to search out those that are keeping at a certain arm's distance. And rather than say, oh, they just need their space, maybe they just need your love. Maybe they're just afraid to cry on your shoulder. Maybe they're just afraid to look in the mirror and say, I don't like what I see. Maybe they're just overwhelmed by wanting this and not feeling like they're good enough for it. Look around. I've just described most of us in this room. I've gone to four home groups this last couple of weeks, and I'm getting the same responses. Getting the same pushback, the same, oh, Rob, oh. You know, we're trying to turn church upside down. We are all about also turning you upside down. And the challenge next week when Steve comes up to preach is what does we as turned upside down look like? It's a challenge, but it's encouragement. I mean, again, I heard the word that's like, oh, I came to church to get some rest, Rob. But I want to encourage you. Remember the Lord your God. He delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. Remember what he has done for you. And even in the times that life seems overwhelming and it just doesn't seem to be right and you don't have the energy, all the more turn to God the Father who saved those people from Egypt. 
who saved you. Don't be afraid to look inside. Don't be afraid because you have a God that loves you and you have a group of people around you that sometimes struggle with you but love you all the same in their own weird and wacky way. May you be challenged because God is more about the person you become rather than the circumstance you inhabit or the things you accomplish. Amen to that? Amen to that. Let me ask the music team to come up. I'm blessed with Celeste choosing a really cool song and I'm hoping Stu's going to play the drums like I heard him play in practice because man, he was rocking it. Because I don't want you to walk away from here feeling dejected. I want you to be encouraged and I'd love for you to just be, oh, yes, we have a God that cares. And the world could be just sliding down and there's all this junk going on, but he's got it under control. And yeah, I need a bit of a lift. Yeah, the liquefaction's got me uh, feeling down. But be encouraged. Remember the Lord your God. Amen? Let's stand.